Welcome back to the Lighthouse Project podcast, a Children of Scientology production and a completely collaborative effort to chat about all the issues affecting the youngest members of Scientology who didn't choose it for themselves. We have deliberately chosen to use real words to describe our abuse, and in this podcast we will share stories and information, some details which may be upsetting or disturbing, specifically content involving sexual assault, rape, sexual abuse, psychological and physical abuse, neglect, and general harm. We encourage anyone who's been affected by these types of experiences who wish to talk to someone about it to reach out to a trauma-informed organization in their area. We wish that we had been aware of these resources sooner so that we could have utilized them, and we definitely find them invaluable now. In our last episode, we were so pleased to have Claire Headley join us to talk about providing expert witness testimony for the prosecution about Scientology in the trial of Danny Masterson. Claire spoke on the stand in this trial and to us in our podcast from her extensive knowledge of and experience in Scientology an organization which she was born into and spent the first 30 years of her life in. We asked Claire questions on such topics as the policies and practices in Scientology, which are applied to cases involving crimes of a sexually violent nature, the perception of applicability of law to Scientologists, what their internal justice system consists of, and the challenges that victims face when attempting to address crimes committed against them. Today, as we continue to learn more about the victim's experience, we turn our attention to the testimony of Jane Doe II, which we will read from Tony Ortega at the Underground Bunker's courtroom notes. Jane Doe II became involved in Scientology while she was in high school. She had been experiencing anxiety, and after seeing an advertisement for Prozac, she asked her mom if she could get help with the use of this medication. Her mother, looking for an alternative, reached out to a family member, and then from there, Jane Doe II started receiving auditing in the field, which is to say that she started doing Scientology processes guided by someone in their home. After some time, she then went on to attend the Celebrity Center as she had begun her career as an actress. And this just pisses me off so much. Can I say, this is like the same... This is how I got involved in Scientology as well, is because I was experiencing depression and I needed to see a psychologist. I was thinking about medication because I was hallucinating and having really intense PTSD symptoms. Even as a child, I knew, okay, something's wrong. My grandmother wanted me to go see a psychologist and that's how I got brought in into the field was auditing. But I should have just gone straight to a psychologist. For actual mental help. Yeah, pisses me And you too. know what's bizarre about that is it's such a conflicted thing. You're not supposed yeah. to bring someone in that is having mental health issues, basically. They don't want people that are not capable. They do not want people that are liability or a risk or that have a psych case. I think that's what they called my mom, a psych case. My mom had worked Yes. At a psychiatric hospital very briefly as a like right out of college. But then my mother had postpartum and it developed into something that was a psychosis. And the bizarre thing, as much as they say that's not our target audience, they did draw her in and treat her with auditing instead of her getting mental health care. She got auditing. And then, of course, they stigmatize mental health care. So how do you go back from that? 
it's confusing to me. That's just the pattern, though. It's completely hypocritical. We, all we the don't time. want metal cases, but if you have a metal case, come over here and we'll help you because we want to keep away you know, from psychiatrists because they're if you have evil. Yeah, I was going to say if you have money exactly. or you have open credit lines like or you have an, yeah, if you have an ability to open a credit card, that's ping ping keyword money. If you have money, it's always money. It's the degree that you're able. So the more able you are, the more of a, a ticket item you are, basically. So you can have mental health issues, but it depends on what degree they are. So are they debilitating? Do they stop you from earning an income? And that I think that's what that comes down to. So it's to make the able more able. That's their target. If we look at it, it's very clear to see these two competing forces where, oh, they almost went to psychology and snapped them up and took them to Scientology. It's a real competition. It is, absolutely. I was thinking about this today earlier. I was driving and I was thinking how damaging the CCHR museums are. Citizens Commission for Human Rights. It's just so stupid of a title. But at the museums, at least on, what is that, on Hollywood Way or on Sunset? In Hollywood somewhere. There's that museum you go to. And it really drives home that psychiatry and psychology are completely evil. They are all out to get you. If you ever land in the hands of a psychiatrist, you are automatically going to be in a hospital. They're going to keep you there. You have no human rights. You're going to be drugged up and that's it for the rest oh, of your life. Oh, don't forget, you like, will be lobotomized. And lobotomized. Yeah. And this is completely drilled into Electric you. shock therapy and lobotomies. That's what you can expect. Yes, it's all exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's not an exaggeration. Mm -hmm. Literally, electric shock, lobotomies, and a thousand milligrams of lithium or whatever to drug you up until you're Thorazine, Thorazine I think. It's yes, it is Thorazine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what you will expect if you ever see a psychiatrist. And that's well, it. So you're terrified of ever seeking help. You absolutely are. And especially if you're raised in Scientology, you don't have any real world experience. There's nothing to relate it to. You're hearing from everyone that has any education that's supposed to be an advocate, that's supposed to be wise, all of these horrible things. So of course you accept it and believe it. But my mom was an OT7 when she really went off the rails years later, and this is after being in Scientology for 20 years, and they just washed their hands of her because she had no money left on account and stopped earning. So you're exactly yeah. right about that. Yeah. But up to that point, they oh. would just sell her the next service, sell her the next service, even though she was clearly struggling. And the other point I was going to make was I do believe that individual Scientologists, unless they're FSMing you and they're going to get a commission on what you're buying, what you're being sold, these intensives of auditing or handlings or whatever, I think they do think that they're rescuing you from evil. They do. I don't sure. It's not like. But because they're wrapped up, they are also wrapped up in that brainwashed idea that they're saving the planet and they're saving people. Mm -hmm. They're a victim. They think that they're doing something for a cause and they're not. Here's the thing is that just works hand in hand with that sales technique as well. And also to alienate people from accessing those services but to build this whole profession up into this huge evil psychiatrists are the biggest oppressive people they're the most evil people in the world and they were the men mm -hmm. behind hitler etc and that's the whole narrative now let's not ignore that the industry of psychiatry has done horrific things 
and that they had a lot of inhumane approaches. But there's been an evolution there as there has been in lots of different areas and institutions. And I have got quite a lot of background in this with my mother being involved early on because she was in the guardian's office and she actually would infiltrate. She would go undercover into psychiatric wards in Australia. There's a really great book written by Steve Canan, an Australian journalist called Fair Game. And he covers that time period in Australia's history with Scientology. And it really did come off the back of this, this activism. That was what my mum, she really got caught up in that. And she really felt like she was doing the best thing for mankind and that she was helping people and she was saving people. And that's what she felt. And that was a huge driver. And even now to this day, she would say the same thing. That's what is most important to her. So all of the decisions that she has made is up against this huge source of evil, this huge enemy. So everything else is justified. And then just in regards to the hypocrisy of CCHR, the Citizens Commission of Human Rights, when I was 16 years old and I was on the decks, which means I was doing hard labor while I was trying to leave the sea organization. This was in Los Angeles at PAC base. They sent a crew of us kids. We were all kids, young kids. Some were younger than me. Others were about my age. So between probably 12, 14, 15, 16 year old kids. We were sent over by ourselves, unsupervised, to go and work on the top of that building before the opening, the grand opening of that building. So when it was first set up, and we were on the roof of that building towering. Have you guys ever done that? Like you tar a roof? And I think it's for like insulation or whatever it is. We did that at the complex building, the big blue building as well, when I was even younger than that, far younger than that. But at this particular time, there was a bunch of us kids up there, so completely unsupervised. And we thought it was great because we were like, oh, we get a bit of freedom. So we would walk from pack base every day. We'd walk in the morning and it was hot. I remember that. And in the morning, we'd walk over from pack base down sunset over to that building and then go into our work and then walk back home. Literal child labor and yeah. trafficking. Oh, my God. <laughs> it smells so bad and it gets yes. in your hair. I did it when I was 17 and we yeah. were all broke couch surfing XCR kids living in L.A. And we were just trying to make money and feed ourselves and buy cigarettes. And and we did it one day and had blisters all over from your raking and sweeping this hot, disgusting stuff. It was awful, Miriam. Yeah, the smell. I can still remember the smell. And we'd walk over. There was a 7-Eleven right next there, mm-hmm. like maybe on the next block over or something like that. And we'd go and get a sandwich for lunch. And then we'd walk back up there and we'd do the rest of our shift for the afternoon. And then this led up to the grand opening where they had all these celebrities. So we were there for the cleanup and the setup and all that kind of thing for the event. And then they got us out of the way. So we had to leave before all the celebrities showed up. And we walked home at nighttime in the dark back to pack base. When that was happening, I was like, I knew how hypocritical it was, but I didn't have a say in anything, of course. I was just there with the rest of the kids. I was just going to add that when Scientologists think that they really are doing the best thing for you, something that I've just had a really hard time with, like processing things that happened to me in Scientology via my auditor and all of the harm that she had done. It's just, it's hard to come to come to terms with that she thinks she was doing the best for me. Yeah. That's all I was thinking. I think they do, but they know better. They've been out in the world. They know what the laws are. 
They know what child abuse is. They know what sexual abuse right. is. They know all these things and they've decided to wipe that guidebook and start all over and make up all our own words and all our own rules and all yeah. our own values. And then we'll really hardcore stick to those. So those are the ones that she's sticking to as she's telling you this bullshit that she's offering you and making you sign something saying, if you kill yourself, I'm not responsible. It's psychotic. Yeah. It is psychotic. And it's just one of those hard lines that I have to walk. It's like, you are an adult, and I feel like you should have known better. And because this person, this auditor I had for a decade was like my second mother, to me at the time was a wonderful person and what I thought was protecting me, but now in hindsight, absolutely not, was putting me in harm's way. It's really hard to process now as an adult and as a mother myself. I would like to think even if I had all these beliefs in a system and in Scientology at least or whatever, if somebody was hurting my daughter, I feel like I, I would hope that motherly instinct and human instinct would override and protect. And so I think I'm just, I don't know, I'm forever processing the confusion and hurt of why didn't you do more? Does that make sense? It absolutely does. And I think it's a yeah, it's this funny line that second gens are regularly walking with yeah. first gens and parents and trying to yeah. come to terms with the fact that those people stood by and either participated in the harm or watched the harm or looked away during the harm. It's super hard to forgive that, especially when people aren't asking for forgiveness. But what I'm understanding yeah. more is that those people were literally navigating their own abuse at the time and like they had given up everything, didn't maybe have the capacity yeah. to help another, even though the whole game was helping everyone. So that's the thing that's so confusing to me. It's like, wait, but wait, but what about all this integrity and ethics and responsibility? And where was that? It was all pretend. It was literally all pretend responsibility, it is pretend. pretend integrity, pretend it's ethics. all loyalty to the yeah. group. Yeah. It's not your own integrity. Right. It's integrity for the group. Yeah. Agree. Gross. The thing is that they believe that they are doing the best thing for mankind and helping people and saving people. They're not. And this is the danger of Scientology or society because it's people who are good people and they think they're doing the right thing. But the things that they are doing are in error because they're based on a false system. They're based on a faulty system. And that system does damage to other people when it's used. So that's the worst because if you look at a society, you only have a small percentage of evil people. You have a very small percentage. So you're not going to make a whole lot of money activating those, you know, mm -hmm. that small percentage of people, right? So if you're going to really target an audience, we're going to look for the people who are industrious, that work hard, that really want to make the world a better place, that want to help people. You can also be more effective that way because it's easier to, I think, navigate social systems and that sort of thing. You can look at a person and go, oh, they're not like a raging, crazy, evil person. So, yeah, I think just in terms of distribution of Scientology, it makes a lot of sense. But then also just that's what makes it even worse is that these are good people that are perpetrating evil 
It's like a computer that's been corrupted. Yeah. And it affects everything else. Yeah. Yeah. I think of it like a virus. In fact, I think that our parents, I really do, I think that they behave like drug addicts. It's like an addiction and they're unable to perform beyond that cycle, that loop, that closed addict type of behavior. And so that makes me want to have some compassion for it. And yet still, it's really hard to be thoughtful about. Yeah, I do have, yeah, I don't know if that's the traumatized child in myself, but I do have compassion and empathy, even for my abusers now, because I know that, I don't know, (laughs) I understand that there's nuance and traumatized people can also traumatize other people. And it's a whole thing. I get it. And I try to hold compassion for it. But I guess my point was, it was just thinking about my auditor specifically and like how much genuine love I had for her and affection and uh, (laughs) ARC (laughs) I had for her. (laughs) But also knowing, okay, you could have been this really awesome, badass person, but you were trapped in the system and it has prevented you from becoming the person I think that she was supposed to become. That's all. It's just sad to see. And also, Victoria, the crimes that you experienced by that person, and I really do think that there were crimes committed there, but in the system that she was in, they are not crimes. And then we have to understand as well. But this particular auditor, too, she's an immigrant from Central America. She was a single mother experiencing violence, had two kids by herself, and Scientology preyed on her. And that's how she got in. She was just like a traumatized individual trying to seek a better life for her kids. And then Scientology preyed on her. And then she became this like top world auditor, quote unquote, and continued the abuse and continued whatever Scientology does. And it's that's frustrating for me because I think at the core, she's a really awesome person. But like, fuck, man, Scientology just came and infiltrated that and her family and her kids. And now it just... It yeah, creates they, so much gray area. It's really yeah, hard. It's, yeah. hard. it's super hard. Yeah. And we have to remember as well that this is a system yeah. that's based on hypnosis and commands and alienating people from themselves. That's the thing is you have to look at it in that light too. It's like you're up against an entire system. It's not just that person that's sitting in front of you. It's an entire system that has overwhelmed that person. Because they're not even able to make those rational decisions and have that discernment and to look at you and go, okay, this is what she actually needs. Protection. Where they used to have discernment, they now Um, have thought stopping commands that just go, boom, get your TRs in. Boom, raise your confront level. Boom, come up tone. I remember one of the times I went into session with my auditor, I was self-harming. And I remember her, again, this is a top world auditor, right? She had won many consecutive awards. So you know that her TRs are in. And I was in session with her and we had such a close bond. She started crying in session. And I remember this moment and I remember exactly where I was, the look on her face. And she was crying at me like an adoptive daughter to her. And I could see that. And I remember her crying and then very quickly, I like saw it on her face. She stopped crying, put her auditor hat back on 
was very clinical. And I remember that feeling of, no, I want you to care. But it's just, yeah, so hard. Mm -mm -mm. It was very difficult to see that. I'm sorry. Yeah. And this goes to Jane Doe Chu's experience where she could have had some real help there with her anxiety. And she was, in fact, asking for help. She asked her mother, which is often the first person that you're going to ask, your caretaker, your parent, and saying, look, I sold this ad for Prozac. And the thing is, like in Scientology, you mentioned Prozac. It's like, oh, you mentioned psychiatry. It's just like this instant reaction. It was Jane Notu's uncle that was involved in Scientology. And obviously the mother knew enough about it to know to go to him and talk to him about it. So from there, that's when she's put into field auditing. And she's a young person. She's in high school. So this whole indoctrination really starts from that point with this false process that they do. And she's denied real help. And we see later on as well through her testimony When she goes to meet Danny at his place at the beginning of the rape incident, she is anxious and there is mention about how she's dealing with her anxiety. So we see that even years later, at the sort of peak of her involvement with Scientology, this anxiety has not been addressed. I do think that she's been able to get some real resources since her time in Scientology because you really see it where she... There's great awareness for her rights on the stand. And I just thought Jane No 2 is an incredible story and we'll take our time. We'll kick off now with going into her testimony. Following on from the field auditor, Jane Doe 2 then goes to Celebrity Center to start her Scientology services there. And that's because now she has begun her career as an actress. By the time that she meets Danny Masterson, she is a Scientologist at the Celebrity Center. So Deputy DA Ariel Anson asked her, how did you become familiar with him? Jane Doe too. There were a lot of different social cliques at CC, young artists, and everybody would go to different galleries and gatherings, like I guess the way it is in college, going to local bars and each other's houses, sometimes 10 to 15 people, sometimes 8, sometimes 70, Anson. And it was at these that you saw him? Jane Doe too. Yeah. Very casual and innocuous. Anson, do you remember what year you became acquainted with him? That's hard to pin. Between 2000-ish, 99, 2000, I believe it was around when I booked that show and was doing episodes. Anson, did something happen about six months to a year before the incident between you and another member of Scientology? Yes, I had a boyfriend. I broke up with him. He was pretty upset about that, and I felt really bad that he was upset. We went to a party in Silver Lake at a friend's, not a Scientology friend. We were both drinking. We went outside. I wanted to make things better, less caustic between us. We were outside and we walked up a darker set of stairs and he raped me on the stairs. It was really violent and I went home and he came with me. I woke up that morning next to him and I said, this isn't right. I'm going to call the chaplain. He left and I called the chaplain at the time at CC who I had talked to a few different times. Something bad happened. Can we please come in and talk to you about it? He said yes. So within a day or two, we were speaking with him. Deputy Anson says, It wasn't a Scientology party, but your ex was a Scientologist and an auditor. Yes, and he was training very vigorously up the training side. And then Anson says, And you talked to the chaplain, Jane Doe, too. He says he's like a minister, but not an ethics officer. Anson 
and your ex went with you? Jane Doe 2, yes. Hanson, what reaction did the chaplain have to explaining what happened with your ex? She says he was calm and said, yeah, that's not what happened. And my ex fully denied it. And the chaplain, yeah, we're not going to call it that. Let me show you some things. Anson says, not call it what? And Jane Doe 2 says, I'm paraphrasing. I just remember him saying, that's not what happened. We're not going to call it rape. I wasn't going to be looking at it that way. I was really upset because I knew, and I was also confused because I didn't want to think of him that way. When he was saying that, I was upset, but I thought maybe that's for the best because then I don't have to think that about him. So I had to crush the truth, basically. That's exactly what happened. Anson, did that reaction have an impact on how you saw the incident? Yeah, I began to blame myself for it. All the ways you blame yourself, so many things you say to yourself, you think, oh, he didn't know I had bruises, and there was no way it could have been anything else. But it felt safer to say, okay, I don't have to think of it that way because I had to keep interacting with him at our church. Can I just interject and just say that this is so common? I don't want to speak for other survivors, but I know that for myself and my own domestic violence experience, that this is a very common thing to think is that you don't want to think that this is what happened to you. You don't want to think of your partner or your abuser in this way. And even though you might have physical marks and other evidence, you want to believe that something else is happening. And that's, this is not what's going on. Totally agree with you. Dr. Zip was talking about this. They want to rationalize. They want to be okay with it. They want it to be something else because otherwise, where do I go with this? How do I process this horrific thing? Oh, maybe it wasn't a horrific thing. Maybe I misunderstood. And Scientology is grooming you through that. Oh yeah, you misunderstood. We're not calling it that. And then later, it's, he's not up to calling it that. It's all just so disrelated to reality. It's just this thing out there. It's not you. It's not your body. It's not your feelings. It's just this thing. It's just an aberration that needs to be handled. Yeah, it was just a cycle. Yeah. It's, it's so dehumanizing. Yeah. A lot of what Dr. Ziv had mm-hmm. to say is in this portion of the testimony. Dr. Ziv is a forensic psychologist. She specializes in sexual assault. She's incredibly knowledgeable and well-respected and well-known. And she talked about misconceptions in rape and sexual assault. One of the things that she said was that most people don't report it. And then she also talked about how it was much more common to be somebody that you knew rather than it being like a stranger in an alleyway type of situation. And we do tend to have these preconceived ideas that's the scenario and that we will scream and maybe hit the perpetrator and try and run away. And so we have these very set ideas of what that looks like. And in fact, it doesn't look like that at all. And especially that changes when it's somebody that is known to the victim. And this is obviously very clear in this situation. She talked about as well continued contact with the perpetrator. And we see this here. So she goes home with him. And I think that some people would go, oh, that doesn't make sense. Why would she do that? But that's because they have a preconceived idea about how that would eventuate. This is somebody who is very tightly in their community. This is an ex-boyfriend, so someone she's had a very close relationship with. And he committed this act against her. And she is talking about how she had to rationalize that and make that fit. And 
just go along with him. So it's a really tough situation for someone to be in because you're trying to survive what's happening. Second to that is to try and fit that into some kind of narrative because you don't want to have to deal with the fact that it's rape. No one wants to deal with that. I'm telling you, as someone who has reported to law enforcement sexual assaults, it's an exhausting process that you can go through for years and it's going to change your entire world. This loving relationship she had with this guy that eventually faded or whatever the reason that it ended, if he just raped her, if he's a horrible monster, what does that mean for the years they were together before? However, whatever it is, like that rocks your core and your foundation. Like, yeah, I can see that you would want to smooth this over however you can so that you don't have to. I don't know. That would be an earthquake. Yeah. And Dr. Ziv does talk about that. She said that no one's a monster sure. 24 hours in a day. Right. So the person that, you know, you had a lovely dinner with. Is you justify and go, oh, maybe he had too much to drink and that kind of thing. It's because it's really difficult to see someone as they are when it's someone that you love. Yeah, I agree. So she says that she's confused because she didn't want to think of him in that way. And that is really difficult no matter the type of relationship that you've had with a person. They've been a prominent relationship in your life and within your social group. And it would be very hard to think that. And then also, what does that mean for that person? You also want to protect them. And I know that sounds crazy too, but if you're considering taking any action against that person and you care about that person, that absolutely does come into play a lot of the times of why people don't report. Yeah, probably even more so in Scientology where Scientology is their only solution. And if they went to prison, jail, whatever... They're going to lose Scientology. Yeah. And that's like the worst possible thing that can happen to a person is lose Scientology, become disconnected because Scientology is the ultimate end all and be all. Yeah. And so she does have that urge to address it. She's like, we need to go to the chaplain. So they go to the chaplain together. It's at the chaplain that he says, oh, we're not going to call it that. That's not what happened. And then there's a reframing there. Then now she has to change it. So first of all, I think initially she didn't want to deal with it, but she had the bruises. It would have been hard for her to reconcile that. Ultimately, she decides like, okay, we're going to go to the chaplain. So she does want to address it. But then she's told it's not rape. So she says, I had to crush the truth, basically. Guys, I hate the chaplain right now. I remember hearing the word when I was in Scientology and it didn't really mean anything to me because I never had any chaplain cycles. But right now, after going through this case and then listening to you guys and your chaplain cycles, what the fuck? Yeah, this is just, I'm always not astounded, but it's very unsettling how similar I I feel like my experience was with the chaplain cycle and reading Jane Doe's testimonies and stuff. It's just the same thing. We didn't call it rape, even though I was a child and this person was many years older than I was and married with children. It's just unsettling how common I think that it is within Chaplin cycles. And this is just like the standard handling is it's not rape. It's not sexual abuse. It's out 2D or an aberration of a 2D flow or whatever you want to call it. And it's very damaging the way that they handle you know, things. It would be great if we could speak to someone who is a chaplain. There's got to be somebody that's out by this point that was a chaplain right. and yeah. that they're talking oh. points. There obviously are talking points because we keep bumping into them. It wasn't rape. We're the only yeah. ones that can help him. 
we're going to do this, don't report. There has to be some kind of framework and guidebook for be, these yeah. wackadoodle chaplains. And what's interesting is I don't yeah. know of any chaplains who have left. I wonder, and I'm sure there are, and it would be great. Hey, any chaplain? Seriously, yes. Yeah. Chaplains I would love to and, know what the standard uh, yeah. handling is or whatever practice they followed, because this is, it's just like eerie when I'm reading through these testimonies. I'm like, oh my God, that's exactly what happened to me. And there's obviously a policy on it. I would be really interested to know what exactly that policy was, what they're following. Yeah, it's all very similar. Yeah. Deputy DA Ariel Anson says, and not to think of that, what is that? Jane Doe 2, rape. Deputy DA Ariel Anson wants to ask her some more questions about what the chaplain showed her. And Jane Doe 2 replies, policies. Basically, that line out you cannot go against, you cannot accuse another member in good standing of crimes, that you cannot externally go to law enforcement to report such crimes, and you cannot take legal action, and that you would be in trouble for doing that. Deputy DA Ariel Anson, were you told about consequences of that? Jane Doe 2, they were considered suppressive acts, and you would eventually be declared an SP, which is someone evil, degraded, and if you had family in Scientology, and I had some, you would lose connection to them. And this was a public announcement. Deputy DA Ariel Anson, you had fears of those consequences? Jane Doe too. Yes. So again, we're seeing all the same things through the experience of Jane Doe 1 and Jane Doe 3. Jane Doe 3 in that with the chaplain, they have the involvement of the chaplain cycle. This isn't rape. So they're being told the same things. And then showing these references, and then they have to demonstrate this and that. And then this, this consequence, this heavy enforcement of this consequence, you're going to lose everything. And of course, we saw that as well in Jane Doe 1, who had her family, her parents were in it. So imagine that, weighing up, like, this is the consequence if you decide to report a member of Scientology, lose everything. Like, how insane, how scary and crazy and awful yeah we're gonna reframe everything that happened to you blame you for it and also put all these pressure points on you that will cost you your life your livelihood everyone you care about the life that you know everything you know will be canceled and we will come after you and declare war her whole social group that she was describing, they were always like meeting up and going to parties and socializing, going to art galleries and this and that. There's this whole young crew at Celebrity Center. Well, and it's just she introduced with... all these stigmas around mental health care that she knows that she has a mental health issue because that's how she got into Scientology. And so she's probably basing any of her successes and any of her stability. She's giving credit to Scientology because that's what they insist that you do. So that would be really terrifying, not just the normal second gen experience or first gen, whatever, where you're going to lose your friends, you're going to lose your job, you're going to lose your parents, but she might lose what she thinks is holding her together because they've tricked her into believing that. And mm -hmm. I relate health. so she hard. She might lose her own mental health. That's yeah. such a good point. Mm -hmm. I think that was a lot of what kept my mom in is she thought that this was all that was keeping her together. We're going to pause here for this episode, so to be continued, we'll carry on this conversation right where we left off. For information, support, and advice regarding sexual assault, 
The largest national helpline in the U.S. is RAIN. That's R-A-I-N-N. Their website is www.rainn.org. You can speak with a trained staff member via the online chat or call their free helpline, 800-656-HOPE. That's 800-656-4673. We've shared a lot of great information. However, I know that a lot of these details can be hard to absorb and digest, especially if you're a survivor of abuse as well. Please remember to check in with yourselves. Take a moment to breathe, to ground yourselves, however that works best for you. We are so appreciative of your time and your support. This project is really meant to be a part of community, and we are so happy that you're here with us. If you enjoyed this podcast, the best way to support the work that we do is to just to like, subscribe, and follow our channels. We are at Children of SCN at Instagram, Children of SCN on Twitter, Children of SCN on TikTok, Children of Scientology on Facebook. And if you'd like to jump into the conversation, please leave us a voice message on Spotify, and we might even feature it in an upcoming episode. This is the Lighthouse Project podcast, and we will see you again soon.